So on this day when we celebrate the founding of our nation and we celebrate the promise of freedom and independence and the pursuit of happiness, I want to share with you a few stories this morning. And I'll begin with one about a woman named Maggie. Maggie was born in Burundi, which is a very small country in Africa, right next to Rwanda. Um, in 1993, Maggie worked at the uh, archdiocese there in Burundi. She worked at the bishop's residence. And she was there the day that as the civil war was raging around them, which you all may recall was a, a horrible time in their history, the bishop's residence was overtaken by some members of the uh, Tutsi tribe. And when they stormed the bishop's residence, Maggie took hundreds of Hutu people into hiding with her. 72 of those people were massacred right in front of her, including her best friend. Maggie was able somehow, despite the, the circumstances that were going on around her, to convince the uh, Tutsis to release her her children, and 25 children that she was able to convince them to spare the lives of. She endured unspeakable violence and brutality that day, but was able to gather those kids with her, take them to a safe house, but the danger was far from over. In the months ahead, as the violence continued and more and more children were left orphaned by this civil war, hundreds of thousands of people were killed in the violence. These children would hear about Maggie and what she was doing for the, for, for the other orphans, and they would make their way to this safe house. They would make their way to Maggie, where she took them all in. Tutsis, Hutus, Burundis, Rwandans, it didn't matter. She brought them all into her safe house. She ultimately became an advocate for an end to the violence, and an end to violence especially against children and their families. And she created schools and institutions that would help them. She cared for the orphans and helped them to survive and thrive. She wound up creating a, a, a place for their education and care and gave them a new start in life. Over 20,000 children have been cared for by Maggie. In 2015, after speaking out against the current regime now, Maggie found herself exiled completely and forced out of Burundi with a price tag on her head. Even still, rather than move to Europe and be exiled there where she could have lived in relative comfort, she decided to go to the encampments for the refugees in Rwanda and live among the thousands tens of thousands of people there. She even wound up starting a school for the children in the refugee camps. In the midst of unimaginable hardship and pain, Maggie has said that she does what she does because love makes us innovators. She also talks about holy friends, and she says that holy friends enable us to experience the love that will make us inventors and help us discover and rediscover hope for the future. She also prays this prayer every single day. She prays, Lord, let your miracles break through every day and do not let me be an obstacle in any way. 
love and forgiveness have totally shaped her imagination of what the future can look like. Now I tell you about Maggie's story not so that we can sigh with relief on this Independence Day that we have had the great good fortune to be born in the United States and not somewhere that we have to worry about those kinds of things, at least not anymore in such a violent way. And I'm not even suggesting this morning that we all have the capacity to be Maggie's because hers is a pretty unique and remarkable path. But I tell you the story of Maggie today because despite everything she's been through and has seen, she still has hope that miracles will burst forth every day. I tell you the story because she personifies in my mind the deep and abiding joy that certainly doesn't come from life's circumstances, but can only come as followers of Christ. As you know, we're wrapping up this morning talking about the things in our church traditions that are our favorites, our favorite scripture passages, our favorite practices, prayers, traditions, favorite hymns, as you just heard Donna's, and probably a lot of ours this morning, How Great Thou Art. And so I've been sharing a few uh, of my own favorite passages, and many of you sent in this exact passage this morning that we heard read from Philippians. And it's actually a lead up to a popular verse that a lot of you will know, Philippians 4.11, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So despite its popularity though, I suspect that some of you can find that particular passage that we heard this morning a little uncomfortable. Guard your hearts with love, rejoice in all things, pray in all things, whatever is pure and pleasing, honorable and excellent, think about these things. Don't worry about a thing, Paul writes. Sounds like Bobby McFerrin is gonna break into song at any moment. Don't worry, be happy. And if you're struggling in any way today, hearing a verse like that can make you cringe a little. It, it kind of sounds like maybe we're just being told to simply be happy and get over it. It's a kind of toxic po positivity that people think of sometimes, asking us to deny what we're really feeling. But there is a lot more to this story. For starters, Paul was writing this letter to the people of Philippi from a jail cell. And this was no ordinary jail cell like we might think of today. I think um, that's a pretty tame term for what he experienced. It was a, more of a rock cave outdoors, totally exposed to the elements, at least on one side. Um, he would have had only the hard ground to sleep on. And Paul was definitely bound up in heavy chains to have been forced to stay there. We know from other writings of Paul that he was imprisoned at least seven times throughout his ministry, sometimes for a couple of days, once for about two years. Paul talks about having been handed a death sentence for preaching the gospel in Ephesus. He was beaten numerous times. He was shipwrecked. He suffered from physical ailments, which he writes about. He was flogged, stoned, and one time whipped one less than 40 lashes, we're told. 
And that's because 40 lashes was what they knew could kill a person, but one less was only supposed to be sent a strong message to the, to the perpetrator. So 39 lashes he received. We also know that he was in danger all the time from all kinds of threats. Paul often went hungry and thirsty. He was cold and naked. He, he talks about having sleepless nights. And to make matters worse, he writes in 2 Corinthians that he suffered massive anxiety on behalf of all the churches that he shepherded. In his letter to the Corinthians, he writes at one point, we were so utterly and unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. I bet some of you have been there before. And some of you might even be experiencing a taste of that today. So how is it that a man can suffer so much hardship and yet write a letter that says, don't worry about a thing. Give thanks in all things. He began this letter to the people of Philippi saying, I am constantly praying to God with joy for each of you. Seriously? Joy? It seems impossible. Some of us can't even get ourselves out of bed in the morning. We're so beaten down and worried. A lot of the people I know who experience such despair wind up taking it out on everyone around them in anger or with harsh words, impatience. Some people even seem to enjoy being gloomy, forecasting doom wherever they go, spreading the bad news that they've heard on the radio or the TV, making sure everyone else is as miserable as they are. But Paul's right, you know, and he comes by this sense of choosing joy naturally. He's in good company. On the night before he died, Jesus shared a meal with his friends. While he was there, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, eating, and he essentially says, look, there's a lot of hard stuff that's about to come your way. He tells them that he's going to be betrayed by one of them. He tells them Peter's going to deny that he even knows him. He tells him that he's leaving them soon and they won't be able to go where he's going. He tells them that the, the world will wind up hating them for being his disciples. And he says, despite all of this, I want you to love one another. I want you to have hope in the world to come. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is with you always. It was sort of this mind-boggling discourse that ended with Jesus finally saying, up until now, you haven't asked for anything. But I tell you, ask anything in my name and you will receive it so that your joy may be complete. It almost seems like a misplaced passage right here amid all of the warnings of things to come but it's exactly where Jesus intended this message to be. Because in the midst of everything that could go wrong, will go wrong, Jesus reminds us that there is always hope. All you have to do is ask. Up until now, he said, you haven't asked. So ask. The promise of joy is the guarantee of God's grace when all that is good seems far away. 
The promise and security of God's love is when it appears that love is nowhere else to be felt. And it's the hope that even in the darkest places of separation, God promises to be present, God with us. This is why Paul could write about joy from the hard stone floor of his jail cell. This is why Maggie could still pray, Lord, let your miracles break forth every day. In the beautiful little book called The Book of Joy, the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop of Africa, Desmond Tutu, had a series of conversations discuss discussing joy. And in it, they talked about the nature of joy itself. They talk about obstacles to our joy. And then finally, they talk about behaviors that can help us cultivate more joy. And the two religious leaders are of one mind when it comes to joy. It's an inside job. Happiness is associated with external things. Joy is not. What animates our life and gives us meaning and significance and satisfaction is a state of mind and a state of heart that doesn't rely on you landing your dream job, you getting into the right college that you've always wanted, or going on that awesome vacation that you've saved up for. Those things are great. But if those are the kinds of experiences and the kinds of material things that bring joy, then how do we explain the joy that Maggie experiences? How do we explain the joy that the orphans and the refugees in her care experience? Vacations and wealth and status and achievements alone cannot be our source of joy because the threat of their leaving us is always there. What happens when they're gone? Who will I be then? What do I do then? Jesus said, I am telling you all of this so that your joy will be complete. Jesus came to show us how to live, how to really live. He taught us that among the behaviors we can cultivate to receive that joy, to find more joy, are gratitude and compassion. Gratitude recognizes that we are all interconnected and that that interconnectedness which makes it, is what, what makes it possible for us to have the life we have and the experiences of this very present moment. Gratitude goes beyond things because it sees what allowed those things to happen in the first place, what undergirds our life experiences, what makes possible the things that we enjoy? Gratitude acknowledges our interconnectedness to the farmers who grew our food, the truck drivers who bring our fuel, the barista who got up at five o'clock in the morning to pour you a cup of coffee, the sound technicians who arrived here at seven o'clock this morning to make sure they were ready for this service. Acknowledging what happens in this way also allows us to see different perspectives. How often do you ever look at your barista and wonder if she had a good night's sleep? Wonder if her toddler's in daycare at this very moment while she's pouring dozens and dozens of people their macchiatos. Seeing people for who they truly are 
not our own preconceptions or frankly our just disregard, is one way we can practice gratitude. If you want more proof that grateful people are joyful people, let me tell you another small story, this one about a man named Anthony Ray Hinton. Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. Not only was he innocent, but at the time of the murders, he was locked inside the factory where he worked, unable to even leave. There is simply no way he could have done what they accused him of doing, but it didn't matter because the police wanted an arrest. And when they handcuffed him, Anthony was told by the Alabama police that he was going to jail because he was black. He spent 30 years in a five foot by seven foot cell in solitary confinement. He was only able to leave one hour a day to go outside. But during his time there, Anthony became a counselor and a friend to everyone else who was around him. He would watch 54 men walk past him on their way to their deaths. He also became a friend to the prison guards who argued on his behalf to have him released. The Supreme Court of the United States finally released Anthony, overruled the entire case in his favor, and freed him after 30 years of solitary confinement for a crime that he never committed. He was interviewed on 60 Minutes after that, and the crew asked him if he was angry at the people who had put him in prison. When they did, he answered that he had forgiven them all. Now the 60 Minutes interviewer was astounded at this and said, they took 30 years of your life. How can you not be angry? And he said, if I'm angry and unforgiving, then they've taken the rest of my life. Like Maggie, like Paul, this is not someone who's gonna spend a lot of time dwelling on his own personal circumstances, even in the face of horrible injustice. Which leads us to another behavior that helps us to cultivate joy, and that is compassion. Compassionate concern for others' well-being, rather than self-centered thinking, is the source of happiness. Jesus taught us to build our lives on compassionate love for others, feed the hungry, clothe the poor, care for the sick and the needy, visit those in prison, care for the orphans and the widows, offer kindness, be generous of heart, mourn with those who mourn. This compassion and care was built into the law that God gave Moses, and it is fulfilled in Christ who commanded us to love one another. Why? So that our joy may be complete. As Paul sat in that stone cold cell writing to the people of Philippi, he knew what it meant to suffer, but he also knew what it meant to cultivate joy through a constant mindset of gratitude and compassion. And he did so by staying close to the source that is God within, always present, always able to bring something good from painful experiences, by offering hope. I want to close this morning with a brief little story from a conversation that happened at my house last week. 
Our son, Ben, is home for a period of time this summer, and when he was in high school and college, he used to work at Camp Smashbox. You've heard us mention Camp Smashbox a few times before. It's our camp that we offer to kids that actually Adam and Kara Gilbert started some years ago. And uh, the week that Ben worked here, there were about 90 plus kids here. So he was here for a few days, and on day two, he walked in the door, dropped all of his stuff where he stood, plopped down on the living room couch, and gave a heavy sigh. And I was a little afraid to ask because he seemed so exhausted, but I said, how was your day, Ben? And he goes, amazing. And I said, tell me more. Ben said, Smashbox is literally the epicenter of global happiness. He said it's like the headwaters of joy and friendship for these kids. And they receive all this good stuff, and it just flows out to everybody else from there. And I said, wow, Ben, that's a pretty big statement. And he said, well, Mom, it's all based on scientific data. <laughs> he said, at the end of the day, I ask every kid, did you have a fun, ton of fun today? And they all go, yes. And he says, are you happy? And they all go, yes. And he says, OK, great. Go home. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it again. And they all come back. When we love well, when we offer our gratitude and compassion to everyone around us, and when we know the source of that ultimate happiness, it brings joy to us and to others. And everybody wants to keep coming back for more of that. So on this day, may you experience true freedom in Christ through the promise of his joy. And when things in life get hard, and they will, may you remember exactly from where the headwaters of happiness spring forth. Let us pray.